Good morning. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to let you know where in the world is Joe Hishma. Joe Hishma is, uh, man, we have a great partnership with some ministries here locally. One of our partners is Topeka Bible Church, and another is Trash Mountain Project. So Joe is with Jim Congdon, TBC's lead pastor, as well as Tim Collins, the director of discipleship with Trash Mountain Project, and they are in the Dominican Republic getting tan. No, they are there specifically to equip pastors. And so it is awesome that our churches can form partnerships in advancing the gospel where men who have been well-equipped can go and bring training to those that may not have the same kind of access to resources that we do here. So that is where in the world he is. And so we need to pray for them. Would you join me as we pray for our pastor? Lord Jesus, we thank you for Jim, Tim, and Joe. Lord, thank you that you have equipped them and that you have given them the opportunity to go and equip other faithful, godly servants. Lord, we pray that the gospel would advance in the Dominican Republic and in the communities represented by these pastors, as well as here in Shawnee County. Lord, thank you for a church like TBC that is committed to your word and the advancement of the name of Christ. We ask that you would bless them grow their ministry and their influence. We also thank you for Trash Mountain Project and the inroads that we have to send people to serve in your name. May you bless them and continue to establish that ministry. Lord, we are thankful for these leaders you have raised up. We pray that you give them great success beyond their expectation and that you would bring them home safely to their families and to their church families as well. We love you, God. We thank you that we are part of your mission and it's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, we launch a new series called Jesus is the Gift. It is the Christmas season after all, and we are very familiar with the receiving of gifts. Now, as you go about making a Christmas list, uh, often we're asked by loved ones, what do we want? And we usually reply uh, different things that we might want, but typically, especially for adults, it's things that we could use, like a screwdriver set, right? So you say, hey, I really need a replacement screwdriver set. Your loved one puts that on their list. Lo and behold, it comes time to exchange gifts and you get this little box and you open it up and guess what? It's screwdrivers. And, and in that moment, you go, yeah, screwdrivers. <laughs> I mean, you asked for it and you got it and it's a very utilitarian gift. But isn't there something different that happens when you receive something unexpected and something deeply personal? This happened for me in 2011. We were exchanging gifts in our home and uh, Amy had given me a gift that I did not expect. She gave me a deck of cards. Mabel, he's brought playing cards in the church. <laughs> it's okay. These have been redeemed. What my wife did is she took a deck of cards and she sanded lightly each one of them and then took a Sharpie and wrote different things that she loves about me. 
You unlock my car when I lock the keys inside when it's freezing outside. You appreciate me. You wear the clothes I buy you. You have lightsaber fights with Blake. And on and on. You make me feel treasured. There is something different when we get something unexpected and personal. It enriches the time. And I apologize for those of you who thought the gift bar was here. But now it's here. Uh, This is the truth. Uh, I opened this and then she opened my gift, which was a pair of slippers. (laughs) She asked for it. There is no greater personal gift than the gift of Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father loves us. He gives us good and great and precious things. But there is nothing more personal than to have someone sent for you. And so we're going to talk about that. I'd like to invite you to the book of Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. This is the first book in the New Testament. The gospel according to Matthew chapter 1 will be in verse 18. Before we read this, you and I share a challenge, and that is familiarity. We are all too familiar with certain texts of the Bible. And so I'm going to challenge you to pretend that you've never read or heard an Advent passage before. A passage that would talk about this precious gift that has been sent to us. It may be a challenge for you, but let's just pretend and listen with this, to this passage with fresh ears. Okay. Matthew chapter one, starting verse 18 through 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The birth of Jesus Christ. What an incredible gift. But I want to be very clear. We need to think straight about Jesus and who he is. This passage says that Jesus was born. But I want to make something very clear that Jesus, while he was born, this was not when Jesus came on the scene. Jesus is creator God. He was there when the world was made in Genesis 1, 1, when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then later it will say, and the Lord said, let there be light. We're told and informed in the New Testament that Jesus is the agent of creation. He was there. Jesus has 
never had a beginning because he has always been. He is eternal, the eternal living son of God. So when the passage speaks of him being born, Jesus did something very specific. He chose to limit himself. He emptied himself of his power for a short time to become like us in the form of a man, in the form of a baby. This was a volitional choice. He stepped down for us. You know, when we think about a gift and what what prompts a gift, what motivates a gift, it's easy to understand that when there's a gift like this, to know that the motivation is love. Love. And we know that the motivation of the Father to us to send His Son was love because of the all-famous John 3.16 passage. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We know the motivation is love, but there's something deeper with a gift. Often a gift comes with a very specific purpose. Yes, my wife loves me. But a gift like this carries with it a specific purpose of her seeking to express her love in a way that I would receive it. She knows I'm a words of affirmation person. But she is a craftswoman. She makes phenomenal, incredible gifts by hand. Blankets for infants. Quilts that fill our home. She is amazing in what she does. And so to express for the purpose of expressing how she feels for me, she did something that was authentic to who she was. To communicate to my heart in a way that she knows I love to hear. So there was a purpose there to encourage, to build up, to affirm. Every gift has a purpose with a motivation of love. And that's the question we're answering today. The question of why was Jesus sent? What were the purposes of Christ being sent as the personal gift? That is our aim. Why was Jesus sent? We're going to look at three purposes. And I want to give you the first one. The first purpose of why Jesus was sent, he was sent to save us. He was sent to save us. I want to draw your attention to Matthew 1, verse 21. It says this. It says, She, speaking of Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He was sent for the purpose of saving us. His name, Jesus, means God saves. It's the same form of the word Joshua, we find in the Old Testament, same meaning. His name bears his mission. He was sent to save us. And the passage says what we need saving from. What is it? It's one word, and it says sins. He was sent to save us from our sins. So I want to look at another passage, an essential passage for us, and it is Romans 6.23. I'd like for you to actually have this passage in front of your eyes. 
So take the word, put your eyes on it. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. I want you to see this verse for yourself because of what a central verse this is on knowing the gospel. This good news message we have. This is what it says. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How many of you, when you were 14, 15, 16, 17, earned your first minimum wage job? I clean floors and boats at a boat dealership. Before that time, I could have cared less about minimum wage. But when I became of age to work and I had an opportunity to go to work, all of a sudden I became very interested. Is minimum wage going up? Is it going up? Is it going to go off? What do you think? Is it going to go up? Beforehand, I had no concern about that. But when I was putting in work, I wanted to know what it was that I would earn. We understand the concept of a wage. This is what you deserve for your work. This says, for the wages of sin is death. So sin is a hunting term, an archery term. How many of you have already got your bow out for some hunting this year? Raise your hands, identify yourselves. Did you know that the word sin means to miss the mark? To miss the target. That means for those of you deer hunters, if you miss your deer, you are sinning. Wages of sin is death. That means to sin is some type of action, a thought, a word, a behavior that is against God's perfect and holy will. So we have some realities about all of us in the room. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has sinned. In the Psalms, David writes that in sin he was born. We have a curse of sin that is generational, that passed on beginning with Adam and Eve to everyone who has ever lived. We have all sinned. We have all missed the mark. But this sin, this rebellion against God, word, thought, or deed, has earned a payment has earned a wage for itself. And that payment, according to this passage, the truth is it earns us our death. One of the curses that God gave over Adam and Eve was that they would die. And with all of our medical advancements here in America, the death rate is still 100%. It's a reality that because of our sin, we die. But there is another aspect of death. There is physical death, and then there is eternal separation from God. There is within each and every living human soul an immaterial soul that God has created that lasts forever. But because of our rebellion, everyone has earned a payment to be eternally separated from God, to suffer Forever without him. No hope in the world. Merry Christmas. (laughs) 
This is the human condition. Lost, unable to fix ourselves. And so Jesus was sent to save us from sin and death. Because look at this passage, it says, But the free gift of God is something that cannot be earned, it cannot be merited, it cannot be done by your good efforts. It is a gift that you cannot earn that has been offered and extended to you. The gift of God is eternal life, not eternal separation, not eternal suffering, not hell, but heaven. And eternal life with God. And it is through Jesus Christ our Lord. He was sent to save us from our sins. It is the primary purpose. And this gift to us. This purpose was accomplished at one moment in time. Jesus died once and for all. For the sins of the, of the entire world. And his forgiveness is extended to all. Who had placed their faith in him. I had this experience when I was nine years old. My life changed. If you are looking for a way out of sin and shame and guilt and hopelessness, it is only through Jesus Christ. And there is a once and for all moment, a one and done moment to all who would believe in his name and his work. It is a completed, accomplished task that once you believe, you are now cleansed forever, forgiven of your sin, done. Because he was sent to save us and he is enough. Another purpose that we find true, not only for our past, but for our present, is that he was sent to redeem us, to redeem us. The idea of redemption is, again, another financial transaction term. term. To redeem means to make the full payment for something. And in this case, we've been earning quite a debt, but Jesus paid, he redeemed us. And in Galatians 3, 13, we find this incredible verse says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone, everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is a verse that has several layers to it. First of all, it says that we've been redeemed from the curse. And part of the meaning of this is the curse that was established in the garden. This statement, this proclamation of judgment of God over sin was that we would be cursed. Well, Jesus has redeemed us from that curse. The other is that there is a curse of the law. The law in the Old Testament was an entire list of regulations. You may be familiar with 10 of them called the Ten Commandments. But then if you go on to read Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you see the fleshing out of the rest of the Old Testament law. And it was a curse because you could never keep all of it. And so it's just a reminder, you don't measure up. You don't measure up. Hey, here's God's perfect standard, but guess what? You don't measure up. And so there was a curse there. And it says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Well, how did he do that? He did it by fulfilling the law. He alone lived according to all the purposes of God. 
He alone lived a perfect and sinless life. And so he chose to take our curse on himself. He became a curse for us. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. That's why when he saved us, he was enough. And so we find this redeeming work of Christ at work even today. We live in a very broken world. And we live with the realities that even in Christ, even if I know that there was a time when Jesus rescued my soul and saved me, that I can still choose to rebel against God. And that causes pain within my life. It causes pain around my life when I Rebel against him. And so you have to live and move in a broken and cursed world. So you're affected by your own sin. You're affected by the sins that are done to you. Then you're also affected by just the realities of this world. And in the midst of that, we can become dismayed. We can become distracted. We can become confused. We can begin to doubt, did what he did for me in the past, was it really enough? Is he really present with me? Some of you are walking very difficult roads right now, and it's just a miracle you're hanging on and you even came into this place. And your heart is full of question marks. I want you to see this verse. It comes straight from the the book of Job. It's okay to turn there and blow the dust off. But in Job 33, verse 28, listen to the hope that's found in this passage. He has redeemed my soul from going into the pit, and my life shall look upon the light. He has redeemed my soul from going down to the pit. The pit is a phrase for, for a place called Sheol a place of the dead. He has redeemed my soul from going there. And my life shall look upon the light. It is no mistake while Jesus made in the Gospel of John seven I am statements about himself. I am the door. I am the, I am the vine. I am the light. You see, it is Jesus who meets us at a point of salvation. It is Jesus who continues his work of redemption. He is redeeming us. He is with us in the midst of our brokenness and the brokenness around us because he's taking us somewhere. We are on a journey with him that he is leading the way. He's forging the path. He has saved us and he has redeemed us. And there's a third purpose that Jesus is accomplishing for us. And that third purpose is to restore us back to God. To save us, to redeem us, and to restore us back to God. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says this. And after you have suffered a little while, See, there's recognition of our current state. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So there's recognition of our current state of suffering. 
we're reminded that we have a God of all grace who has called us to eternal glory, this, this place that is waiting for us in Christ, and that it is His work to restore us. In our pain, we can begin to question and doubt, and this passage says He confirms. He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. He restores us back to himself. Have you ever had the thought in your mind how, how much easier it might have been to actually have seen and touched God? Think about Adam and Eve for a moment. When they were created by God, and we don't know the duration of time they had like this, but they saw him. They touched him, walked with him experienced life as it was meant to be. Yet God gave them a choice, a free will, and they chose to rebel against Him. And that was broken and lost, this connection with God. But God has always had a story of redemption and restoration that began in a garden and ends in a garden where we are once again brought face to face with the one who has made us, the one who has saved us, and the one who has redeemed us. What about the disciples? Didn't they get to walk with Jesus? Didn't they get to touch Him? They smelled His breath. They heard His teaching. They saw His miracles. They were with Him. Well, even they got dismayed, distracted, befuddled. Jesus had shared a meal with them, an evening dinner. And this was to be the Passover meal, the last supper that he would have. And he sent his disciples into an absolute tailspin because he was telling them that he was going to leave them, that actually one of them in that very room would betray him and that he would be handed over and that he would die. And they were confused and dismayed and they didn't like what he was saying and they were so upset And Jesus had words for them in the book of John chapter 14. We have his words to them. Chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? They were so confused. He's like, (laughs) I'm lost. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. You know the way because you know me. 
And I know where I'm going. And guess what? I'm taking y'all with me. Getting to God has nothing to do with you getting better. Because Jesus came for you. And you are His if you receive Him by faith. And then He stays with you, continuing to work and and heal and restore you till ultimately He takes you home where He's already prepared a place for us. We know the way because we know Him and He is the way. Do you see these purposes behind the gift? This gift that was motivated by a father's love for his children. He saved us, redeemed us, and restores us back to God. Why was Jesus sent? To save us, redeem us, and restore us back to God. You can turn it into a song. Saved us, redeemed us, restored us back to God. That is the purpose of the personal gift of Jesus. So I want to make a claim, and it's a claim for this series, that with Jesus, we are no longer away from God. If we are in our sin, we are alienated from God, separate from Him. But Jesus came into our condition to be the answer for our soul. Through faith in Him, we have forgiveness and freedom from shame and guilt, and we are set free. And He brings us to God, with Jesus, we are no longer away from God. Isn't that good? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So I want to give some response calls that apply to everyone in the room. For those of you who have not made up your mind about Jesus, I want to challenge you with this I will statement. I will receive Jesus by faith. I will receive Jesus by faith. How do you do that? Well, there is saving faith. And saving faith involves first understanding the truth. That you would know and agree that the wages of sin is death, eternal death. That the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To understand the truth is to know that you cannot be the, your own answer for salvation. It is and only is Jesus. You find forgiveness when you confess the truth. You confess with your mouth, I need the saving work of Jesus. It says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, it's not just mental assent. It's not just some kind of, yeah, he's the son of the big guy. He did the thing on the deal, you know. There's too many people walking around that they just think, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, he's good. But there's been very little transfer, if any, to the heart. To confess with your mouth truth, to believe in your heart, a change of heart. You want to love and follow Jesus Christ. And then you say, I want your will to be done with my life. 
Change the direction of my life. I've been going this way. Lord Jesus, I want to turn and follow you. You see, my daughter, she would get on her knees by her window when she was younger and she would continue to invite Jesus into her life and into her heart on an ongoing basis because she thought that's what she needed to do, that she had to continue to ask him and if she stopped asking him that he would push her away. But the work of Christ is one and done. He said, it is finished. That's why to receive him by faith is a moment decision that lasts forever. Will you receive Jesus by faith? If your answer is yes, on your tear-off card that you've received, your worship guide, there's a tear-off card that says, I want to talk with someone about starting a relationship with Christ. I want to know, did you start with Jesus today? Check that box. Take it to the Welcome Center. They're not going to pepper you with questions. They're not going to make you feel weird. We want to know that you've moved from death to life. For those of you that find yourself dismayed and distracted by the pain of this world, by the brokenness of the world, by the curse that still remains, here is your I will statement. I will trust Jesus to redeem my brokenness. I will trust him. I will call out to him because there's people in my life I cannot control. I make sinful choices. There are others around me that make sinful choices that impacts my life. But it is a better decision to say, I will trust Jesus with his redeeming work with me and I will trust Jesus with his redeeming work in other people because I think sometimes the deepest pain is when Christians hurt us. And we are so tempted to take the ball into our own hands and to control and to manipulate But we've got to remember that it is Jesus who does his redeeming work in us and all those who are called by his name. I will trust Jesus with my brokenness and the brokenness of others. And finally, this is the call to all of us. I will give Jesus as the gift. I will give the gift of Jesus. He is the one who was sent for us. He was the one who was sent to save us, to redeem us, and what? Restore us back to God. If you know him, if you love him, if you follow him, it is our call to give the same gift we've received. May God give us the grace and strength and courage to do that. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the personal gift that was sent for us. Lord, we turn our eyes and our hearts toward you. Thank you for the reminder that you are with us even in the midst of our brokenness. Thank you for the assurance and the hope that we have that we are headed to a destination, a new garden where we can walk with you, talk with you, see you face to face. Lord, may we move from doubt and fear to confidence and faith. Thank you for saving us, redeeming us, and restoring us back to God. Amen.